0: The Afterwards podcast is taking a break this week, but check out one of Book TV's newest podcasts, About Books. On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to About Books. This is Book TV's program and podcast, which looks at the business of publishing. Now, in just a few minutes, we'll focus on one place where the rubber meets the road when it comes to putting books in the hands of readers. We'll be talking with Richard Howorth, who is the owner of Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi. But first, here's a look at some recent publishing news. A judge in Virginia last week dismissed a lawsuit that sought to declare two books as obscene and to ban their distribution to minors. The books were Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabe, and A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah Mass. Both books describe or illustrate sexual acts. Now, the Associated Press reported, that Tommy Altman, a Virginia Beach tattoo shop owner and former Republican congressional candidate, argued that the depictions were inappropriate for minors, and he sought to keep bookstores and libraries from distributing the books to children. Now, in the wake of the judge's ruling, the Association of American Publishers said the decision was, quote, "...a significant and unequivocal victory." for the free speech rights of readers, authors, publishers, booksellers, and libraries. Well, also in the news, later this month, The Washington Post will bring back its standalone book review section. The move comes as The Post has increased its book staffing, including the addition of a new books editor, John Williams. Washington Post book critic Ron Charles said that the new section will include reviews, profiles, author Q&As, publishing stories, and, quote, anything else we might dream up for this luxurious new space. Meanwhile, another newspaper is also expanding its book coverage. Canada's Globe and Mail is bringing back its standalone arts and books section after a pandemic hiatus. The new site Publisher's Lunch reports that the Globe and Mail's book section will return on Saturday, September 10th.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses
0: billions. That's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: And now a conversation with one longtime bookseller. His name is Richard Howorth. He's the owner of Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi. And in a recent profile piece, the New Yorker described him as a man who nurtured generations of Southern writers and readers and changed his hometown in the process. So, Richard Howorth, how did Square Books get started?
1: Uh, My wife and I started the store in 1979. Um, We worked in a bookstore in Washington, D.C., for two years uh, with the explicit purpose of learning the business so that we could come back to Oxford, my, the, the, my hometown, the place where I grew up, and open a bookstore here.
0: So how has Oxford changed since you opened it in
1: 1979? Uh, <laughs> well, a lot has changed everywhere since 1979, and certainly a lot has changed here. It's, um, it's the home of the University of Mississippi. And both the university and the town have gone through uh, uh, an enormous amount of growth in, in that time, which has been good for business and and good good in many other ways, but also um, worrisome uh, to those who are uh, concerned about real estate prices and housing and uh, uh, and and traffic and those sorts of things, of course. But um, uh, it still uh, remains uh, a, a wonderful uh, community. And um, I'm, I'm happy that we still live here.
0: Did you expect growing up to own a bookstore?
1: Not really. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, as I think I may have said recently, to someone uh, directionless in, my, in much of my youth. And, uh, but I had an older brother who always uh, had, a lot of cockamamie ideas about what we would do when we grew up, and one of those was to open a bookstore in Oxford. There wasn't a bookstore here; it seemed like a, uh, a logical and and uh, a conceivable thing to do. Although, you know, I didn't I didn't really pursue it until after I had uh, graduated from college, gotten married, uh, been out in the world a little bit, uh, and, and decide. It wasn't until then that I decided that I would. Uh, try to open our own bookstore.
0: How did it get the name Square?
1: Well, we're on the town square um, with the courthouse in the middle of the square and uh, shops all around the perimeter and restaurants all around the perimeter of the square. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's some, somewhat like the uh, courthouse square in Faulkner's uh, Jefferson. Uh, Yachtapatofa County, um, uh, although it's, you know, things have changed a lot since then. Uh, the main reason I called it Square Books was because when we first opened the store, we had $10,000, we borrowed another $10,000, we didn't have a lot of capital, we couldn't find a good location on the Square, I, know, I knew I wanted to be on the Square, the only place I could find was in, was upstairs, uh, so I rented this upstairs Office space, really, for a hundred dollars a month, and um, I, I mainly called it Square Books because I wanted people to understand that the bookstore was on the square. And now
0: you've expanded into about four buildings or four locations on the square, correct?
1: Uh, te- no, well, three built four uh, separate operations in three different buildings, um, and they're about a hundred feet apart.
0: So give us a sense of how big the business is. How many books do you have in square books, uh, foot traffic, how many customers?
1: Uh, I, I read somewhere where I had said fifty thousand books at one point, and i'm I'm not sure how I got how I came to that that figure. I know what our what our gross sales are, of course. Um, uh, but the books are, you know, one of the stores is a children's bookstore. I'm sure there must be, you know, 10,000, 10, 15,000 titles there. That, you know, and, and then the main store, which has most of our categories and is on two floors, uh, has the bulk of the rest of the that, those titles. And then the third store, Off Square Books, uh, has remainders, used books, and some um, new books that are in uh, lifestyle, we describe it as lifestyle uh, section, uh, cookbooks, uh, design books, crafts, hobbies, uh, travel. You know, there there's some categories that are down there.
0: Now, Richard Howorth, you mentioned William Faulkner a minute ago. Um, you and your family in Oxford have kind of a special connection to two very famous authors, Faulkner and John Grisham. Could you describe what those connections are?
1: Well, I, I, the house that I grew up in in Oxford was directly across the street from Faulkner's home. Now, Faulkner died about a little less than a year before we moved into that house, so I never knew him. But uh, I certainly was aware of his existence from the time that I was uh, quite young. And um, what else? What else did you ask me? John
0: Grisham, another connection.
1: And of course. Also, there were people in my family who knew Faulkner, both my grandfather, I had a great aunt who was probably his wife Estelle's best friend. So I I grew up knowing that. John Grisham I came to know when he was uh, a young attorney uh, living about 50 miles north of here, uh, uh, just outside Memphis. And um, he came to see me because he's going to have a book published, uh, A Time to Kill by a very small publisher, a, a subsidiary of a religious book company, actually. And uh, he he was quite um, forward about his hopes and expectations <laughs> and about how I could help him with this first book of his. Um, we did pretty well with it, but it wasn't really until uh, the firm, well, not that, not, not not that it came out, it was actually before it came out that uh, uh, Doubleday paid a lot of money for it, mainly because John sold the movie rights before he sold the book rights, which is, which is rare in the book business, especially if you're uh, unheard of as a writer. But he managed to do that. And then, of course, Doubleday wanted to pay a lot of money because it was going to be a movie. And boom, uh, the rest is history.
0: And Mr. Grisham is still pretty faithful to Square Books, Correct.
1: He is. He um, he signs a book for, you know, in the early days, we would do a book signing with every book uh, that came out and it got to, 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 it became unmanageable actually. I mean, there was no way he could have uh, stayed awake long enough to sign books for all the people that were in line. And so he now uh, signs copies and uh, those get shipped to us and we still uh, sell a a good many uh, number of copies of his books.
0: Now, Mr. Haworth, is Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi on authors' tours or is it tough to get authors to come down there?
1: Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, that's something that that we've worked hard at uh, ever since the store was open. Again, when, you know, when I started in that upstairs and I'm in a town of 10,000 people, you're, you know, you're thinking of everything you possibly can to attract people. When Lisa and I were working at this bookstore in DC, uh, we did get James Dickey, who lived in, uh, in suburban DC, to come in and sign books. We got Larry McClertree, who, who uh, himself had a bookstore in DC. To come in and sign books it was something that we had, had done even in that store uh although back in those days it was not all that common that bookstores had book signings uh, uh a few did some did but not a lot and so uh i tried to get uh, uh the first writer i knew uh ellen douglas who who lived in mississippi uh did a book signing and um uh, Bill Ferris, who was the new director of the newly established Center for the Study of Southern Culture, was here. He just happened to know people like Tony Morrison, uh, Alex Haley, and back in those early days who uh, would agree to come here and do book signings for us, Alice Walker. Uh, so we had people who were helping us do that, and, uh, <clears throat> and we've con- continued to do that over the years. In 1992, we established a signed book club, if you will, where uh, people could sign up and we would automatically send them one signed first edition uh, per month. And that sort of um, uh, supported what we were trying to do so that we could tell a publisher, if you send your author here, we can sell 300 copies of the book and so forth and so on. That helped, helped a lot. We also worked with the bookstore in Jackson, Mississippi, Lemuria Books, and uh, the owner of that store, John Evans and I, were classmates at the University of Mississippi. And we were sort of friends. And we decided to work together, and rather than compete, in trying to get writers to come to Mississippi. And uh, it's about 160 miles south of here. And so we, we worked hard at that, and we're successful in attracting writers here.
0: Well, Mr. Haworth, in a recent New Yorker profile of you in Square Books. It's written that one morning, you and Lisa woke up to find James Dickey, best known for his novel Deliverance, drink, right. drinking beer on a stool in their kitchen while regaling their son, then in a single digit, with heaven knows what kind of stories while the boy <laughs> ate his breakfast cereal. Uh,
1: that's a true story. We w- One of the things we often did when writers came here was, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to get here and, you can't just go in and out of Oxford. You got to fly into Memphis, drive here, drive back to Memphis and so forth. So frequently uh, visitors would stay the night. And as a way to defray uh, expenses uh, sometimes, which were undertaken by the authors themselves, we would put them up in our home. We had room in our home uh, uh, to, we had a guest room and they could stay there and and uh, when James Dickey came, uh, we made that offer, and he did, and <laughs> and, and the rest, uh, as you say, uh, is 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 pretty much true.
0: Well, tell us about your co-owner, Lisa Holworth.
1: Uh, Lisa is a uh, uh, an engaging, uh, intelligent, um, uh, highly individualistic. Uh, person uh, is is charming and um and unusual in, in all sorts of ways that 95% of which I love <laughs> <laughs> um and she's written a, cu- a couple of novels herself she also did an uh, an art history book she ha- she has a degree in art art history and um <clears throat> and while she hasn't been um as active in the operation of the bookstore as I have, she's always been a, uh, every bit as much a guiding spirit of the store as I am. And, um, and she often uh, helps uh, entertain some of these writers when they come to town.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
0: Well, we talked about book tours for authors, Mr. Haworth, and whether or not they make it to Square Books. We want to show a little bit of video of you interviewing a well-known author.
1: Hi, Richard. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah. you out there hawking books. I've, I've got a question for you. It's actually a two-part question. Go ahead. Um, uh, how on earth were you able to get any reading done? And I mean, sort of, uh, sort of reading that you would like to do while you were president. And right. uh, the second part is, what would you recommend that Joe Biden be reading right now? Well. Uh, I'm going to answer the first question or, or the second question first. What I tell Joe is read whatever uh, nourishes his soul. Uh, and
0: and that's going to be different things for different people. Richard Howorth, that's what we would call in the TV industry a pretty big get for you to get uh, former President Obama as a guest. How'd you do that?
1: Actually, uh, that was done through uh, his his publisher at the time that his uh, uh, autobiography uh, came out, and they were. um, I don't know whether he asked uh, for them to do this or this was their idea, but part of what they wanted to do was, I think they they wanted five different independent booksellers uh, to. Uh, ask a question uh, of President Obama. He was he was open to this idea, and uh, I I don't I can't remember whether I said well raise my hand and said I've got a question <laughs> or what or whether they call me. But uh, in any event, it, it happened. Um, I had met him a couple of times. Well, he the uh, first presidential debate in his uh, uh, first campaign uh, was held here at the university of Mississippi in Oxford. And, uh, I met him at that time. And I met also met him very early in his campaign because he had a, um, a fundraiser in Jackson, Mississippi, sponsored by Ray Mabus who was his secretary of the Navy and a former governor of Mississippi. And, uh, Ray is an old friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and, uh, invited me down for that. So we had met then. Um, I am
0: missing. <laughs> well, we should note that Richard Howorth has served as mayor of Oxford, Mississippi as well. Now, you mentioned the publishers had a, a role in getting President Obama. What's the relationship, at least your, in your case, of an independent bookstore to the publishers?
1: Uh, most of that is facilitated through sales representatives who uh, call us, call on us mostly in person uh, twice a year, sometimes three times a year. Uh, publishers have different um, uh, timetables and publishing schedules, uh, but mostly there's a spring season and a fall season. And uh, they uh, send their sales representative to visit with us. And it's a sit down <clears throat> uh, discussion about, the, uh, about what we're going to buy on the, on the coming list. And uh, I stopped doing the buying when I went over there to city hall in 2001, Cody Morrison does that here now. So it's been a while since I've done that. But, um, uh, apart from that, um, we do interact some with their, uh, marketing people. Um, it's inevitable in this business. Um, when you read books and you love certain books, and you love that writer, and you find out who, who the editor was, who uh, acquired the book and published the book. Eventually, uh, you get to know uh, editors and um, publishers, and uh, so those i made a lot of friendships that way. But also, um, you know, good I've had good business relations that way because you get a head start on. Who's
0: doing what? Well, you recently, along with the New Yorker profile, you wrote an op-ed for the New York Times uh, opposing the Penguin Random House-Simon Schuster merger. And you say that, quote, it would be bad news for American book consumers. Why, in your view, would that merger be bad news?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that's happened over the, this course of time that I've been in the book business is— um, uh the 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 big publishers have gotten bigger and um uh, the, the smaller publishers have become fewer um, um, um it, 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 it's, it's very complicated uh, but you know the larger the publishers become uh, the more weight they have to throw around in terms of, uh, how they publish books and w- which authors they decide to publish, and um, you know the the cost of the books, and you know all those important sorts of decisions, which I believe uh, are healthier in a more competitive environment than what we have now been essentially reduced to. We have five publishers that control. Uh, 80% of the U.S. book market and one publisher uh, that controls uh, according to some figures uh, half of it. I know that in my own business Penguin Random House uh, has more than half of our entire business. Um, uh, If they decide to get mad at me which they may have (laughs) for having written this piece, though I don't think so uh, then you know that could be bad for me. That could be very bad for me. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe they won't send writers here on book tour anymore. Or, you know, whatever. I, I you know, I don't think they're going to uh, selectively uh, punish me that way. Um, but it gives you a, an idea of what what they could do. And um, I think that if if it's if there are more uh, publishers competing. For books, then it's healthier for writers. I think it's they have a better chance of a getting published. Period, and b maybe I don't know about the money, but it you know it could be uh, you know better monetarily. A lot of the large publishers now have many imprints, some of which publish the same sorts of books, and you know. My understanding is that while some of the people at the at the top of the corporation have have corporations, I should say, have said that they that they're not going to let their imprints uh, that they will allow their imprints to compete against each other uh, for. Let's say you submitted manuscript to Random House and 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 two editors want it. Uh, yes, that would be great if they got into a bid war and and you could get more money for your uh, intellectual property. Uh, I don't believe that that's really happening or it doesn't sound logical that it would happen if I were the CEO of that giant corporation, which will never happen. (laughs) Then I would be asking those two editors, why are you bidding against somebody that's in our own company? It's gonna end up costing us more money. No? So um, I, I, I just uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about it, and um, I think the a lot of publishers uh, began as an outgrowth of a of, of an individual as a personality, and that imprint takes on somewhat the the sort of taste and personality of of, of that person, and that's how it becomes the imprint that it is, which gives it definition and. Uh, you know to for a reader you know a sort of kind of understanding about what that publisher is about and i'm afraid we'll lose that though i know that they're great editors that are still at the large publishing houses um i i am just wary of uh, of that becoming less and less the case there are fewer fewer smaller publishers or mid-sized publishers you've got a few like norton whom i mentioned in that article Grove Atlantic is another great sort of mid-sized publisher. But when I entered the business 40 years ago, there there, was, there were a couple of large publishers and a lot of mid-sized publishers. Now you've got a very few gigantic publishers and very few mid-sized publishers. So
0: well, if you want to we'll read see. the if you want to read the profile of Richard Howorth, that's in The New Yorker. And the op-ed was in the New York Times. In our remaining minute, Mr. Howorth, what are some of the books that are catching your eye these days?
1: Um, at, at booksellers are usually reading ahead of time. We're usually reading what's coming out next and uh, getting ready for that, so that when the when the books come into the store, we can you know we can start uh, selling them and and we can prepare our marketing for those books ahead of time. Uh, one of those books, which in fact just landed the other day. Is uh, a, a book by Jim Harrison. He's a writer who came to our store many, many times. He, we he was uh, he, we loved him here. Uh, Lemuria Books in Jackson loved him. He he said at one point that uh, I don't know why it is, and Mississippi is sort of like France. I have a, I have <laughs> a lot of readers there, and uh, and we were devoted to this guy. These are essays that he wrote over the span of his life. Most of, some of which have never been published, some, some have, but they're collected here uh, in this book called Jim Harrison, The Search for the Genuine. And even if you're not a, a lover of fishing and, and hunting, as I am not, uh, a lot of these essays are about that, then uh, you would love these. The other book I'm very keen on is not this book by Wendell Berry, uh, but another book, uh, which I believe is called to be whole it, it has not come out yet and it is by far his biggest book it's i think about maybe seven hundred seven six or seven hundred pages long he usually writes fairly short books wendell Berry's from kentucky he's 87 years old he's a uh, sort of an agrarian and philosopher <clears throat> and in this book he reckons with race he deals with race in, in kentucky in the united states throughout his life and it is a thought-provoking, um, as all his books are, and uh, beautifully written uh, piece uh, to behold by Wendell Berry, one of our great writers.
0: Well, Mr. Howorth mentioned readers in Mississippi. Every year, Book TV covers the Mississippi Book Festival in Jackson, and always thousands of people show up at the state capitol for that. If you have a reason to be in Oxford, Mississippi... Make sure to stop in at the Square Bookstore and say hi to Richard Howorth. We appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate being with you today.
0: And you're watching and listening to the About Books program and podcast. Well, each Tuesday, dozens of new books are published. Here are some recent ones. Former Goldman Sachs executive Jamie Fiore Higgins is out with her expose on the culture of finance in corporate America. Her book is titled, Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. Speaking of Wall Street, former Wall Street Journal banking reporter Greg Steinmetz released his book about one of the wealthiest Gilded Age millionaires. It's titled, American Rascal, How Jay Gould Built Wall Street's Biggest Fortune. And freelance journalist Mike Mariani released his book on what happens when humans experience life-changing events. The book is called What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us, Who We Become After Tragedy and Trauma. Well, along with new books being released every week, reviews are written by national publications as well. Here's a sampling of some recent reviews. The National Review magazine describes Noah Rothman's new book, which is entitled The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun, as a, quote, master class, showing that progressives' puritanical crusades manifest as a kind of behavioral totalitarianism. In a role reversal, the National Review writes, Mr. Rothman references some contemporary leftist insanity then consults the historical record to show Puritans doing more or less the same thing. And the Wall Street Journal recently reviewed *Centuries Witness, which is a look at the life of foreign correspondent and journalist Wallace Carroll. Now, Mr. Carroll covered the Spanish Civil War, World War II, and the Vietnam War, among other historical events. The Wall Street Journal says that Mary Llewellyn McNeil's biography of Mr. Carroll Chronicles, quote, newspaperings, glory years, and offers cautionary tales about the practice of journalism. Keep an eye out for these authors and books in the near future on C-SPAN's Book TV. Now, before we close, we want to note that Book TV was live this weekend at the 22nd Annual Library of Congress National Book Festival here in Washington, D.C., All of our author interviews that we did at the festival and all the book event coverage as well is available on our website at booktv.org. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author events, which you can always watch online at cspan.org. And to get this podcast and all other C-SPAN podcasts, just go to our C-SPAN Now app. If you liked this episode, be sure to follow About
1: Books. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode.